Greetings and welcome to the third episode of Jesse I Interviews. I'm Jesse I, and once again I'm recording this on the lands of the Wurundjeri and Boon Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation, lands which are now known as the City of Melbourne in Australia. I want to pay my respects and acknowledge the traditional owners of these lands, past, present and future, because I feel it's important to acknowledge that this always has been and always will be Aboriginal land. This episode I'm featuring an interview with the South African reggae star Lucky Dubey, recorded in March 2000 ahead of his Australian tour of that year. A couple different people requested this one, so I figured why not. On that note, if there is an interview with a particular artist or producer you'd like to hear, just let me know, and if I've got one in the can, I'll dig it out. Otherwise, it might be one for the future. You can contact me via email at jesse at chantdown.com or on Instagram at morefireblaze or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash jesse i. I know a lot of fans of Jamaican roots reggae don't have much love for the style of reggae that Lucky Dubey was famous for, but he'll always have a special place in my heart. He was one of the first artists that I got into when I discovered reggae as a teenager, and Lucky Dubey's 1995 concert at the Palace Nightclub in Melbourne was the first reggae show I ever went to. I even tell Lucky about it in this interview, including how I had a fake ID to get in, as I was underage at the time. What I didn't mention was the fact that my dad and I drove three and a half hours to get to the venue, so if my fake ID didn't pass the test, it would have been pretty devastating. Thankfully, we didn't even get asked to show ID, so it was all good. It probably helped that I was there with my dad, and we arrived super early, not long after the doors opened. Also, very vague memories, that was the first time I ever crossed paths with Ras Crucial, who would become the other half of Chantdown Sound. There's no behind-the-scenes banter for this one, it's just a phone interview, and it was capped at 20 minutes as we had to adhere to a publicist's schedule. So here it is, a 22-year-old Jesse I interviews one of his musical heroes, Lucky Dubey, back in March 2000. With me right now, I have on the line a man who has a good claim to the title King of African Reggae, Lucky Dubey. Thank you for taking the time to speak to us here on Chant Down Babylon. Yeah. Of course, the country where you've been concentrating on chanting down Babylon in lately is your native South Africa. Whereabouts in South Africa do you live? Well, I live in Johannesburg. Okay. Is that where you're calling from now? Yeah, I'm right now I'm in the center of Johannesburg, yeah. Okay. So, whereabouts did you grow up? Have you always lived there? No, I, I came up to Johannesburg uh, around about 1982, which is when I first uh, recorded uh, my, my album. But um, I lived in a town called Ermelo, which is about 260 kilometers south of Johannesburg. That's where I was born and that's where I grew up. Stayed there for some time until, yeah, around about 82 when I came up to Joburg and... Uh, met Richard Siluma, who was to be my producer, you know. Okay. Well, I'd like to go right back. I mean, as a child growing up under the apartheid system, what was your life like when you were young? Well, it was hell. I mean, it was really hell for me also because with me, I got, um, I think it was, a, I would say, a double blow um, because right off the system, the apartheid uh, thing that was going on here, and of course the fact that I didn't have um, my father, you know, I, did, I grew up w without him. I only saw him for the first time, I think, what, three years ago or two years ago. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the situation was just um, bad here, you know, for me when, when I grew up. 
but that we only started to realize how bad it was later in life because when it was happening and when we were growing up that was the deal that was part of our daily lives that is how everybody around us um grew up that that was just uh life mm. you know so we didn't see anything wrong because the people that we grew up around were also in the same situation so it's only when we grew up um that we saw that you know we were getting some kind of a raw deal here yeah and so now these days you're concentrating i know a lot on educating the people and sort of teaching them i guess what freedom can be yeah man even though it's very difficult you know because uh this segregation thing or this hatred has been um buried very deeply in people's minds you know you you try to teach people about freedom and you try to teach people about uh you know doing away with apartheid and the whole thing but people's minds are still somehow hanging on to the past because i mean that went on for a very long time and i think that's why they they holding on like to the past so much mm. well where where was it along the line that you decided you wanted to become a singer in the first place well i would say from maybe from when i was about eight, you know uh because at that age i was um doing i was i was writing my own songs and uh yeah singing songs that i heard on the radio and while talking like with other kids who wanted to be uh pilots who wanted to be policemen who wanted to be everything my one was is was always been um a musician i i wanted to be a musician really from i think from the age of eight. Well, your international fame has really come from your reggae music, but uh, your initial success wasn't wasn't with reggae music at all, was it? No, man. Um, when I started, um, the first album was a Bakanga album, which is the um, Zulu traditional music down here. Yeah. And so that was what I recorded first, and that's what uh, became, or rather, that's what gave Lucky Dube a name right here in, in South Africa. So, but later in the years, it was clear to me that I didn't just want to be here in South Africa. The music had a message and that the message had to be heard by people around the world. Mm. And so then in, in, in 19, I think 84, that's when I made the, the switch to do reggae because um, I thought, I mean, reggae is the kind of music that everyone listens to everywhere in the world mm. and it's the kind of music that you don't grow out of uh, it's not like to say 60 year olds don't listen to reggae music or you know it's music that everyone listens and i wanted my message to be heard all over the world and then uh that's when i i did i made the switch um from bakanga to reggae because in bakanga i was singing in the Zulu language and as far as I know the only country where there's like millions of people that speak Zulu is South Africa right so I was just gonna be here in South Africa the world wouldn't have heard anything there because they would have yes appreciated the music but maybe not understand what the music said 
Right, for real. And what I wanted, or rather what I didn't want, was to be, um, to have my music as some tourist attraction music. You know, the, the music that the tourists buy um, in basically any country where they don't understand the music, but it's just, wow, it's, it's, it's a nice... It's a nice thing, but they don't understand what it says. It's just some tourist thing to say, okay, I was in South Africa, and this is what I got. I got this music. Uh, they don't know the artist. They don't know what he stands for and stuff like that. That's just tourist music. So yeah. I didn't want to be in that category. Right. Well, I know that um, your music, I mean, it, it's obviously gone to a hugely to an international level now, but I know that at times it was often banned back in South Africa. Is that right? Yeah, man, yeah, man. That was one of the difficulties that uh, I had down here uh, because it took some time before people here could, like, uh, have the music freely because most of the albums that we released were kind of banned by the past government because, of course, of the message in the music. And so reggae was basically... Um, nowhere in South Africa, you couldn't just have reggae freely, you know, so there were like no reggae bands in South Africa. The only reggae we could hear was reggae from like uh, Bob Marley, Peter Tosh, not so much Bob Marley and Peter Tosh, but we could hear a lot of uh, Jimmy Cliff because mm -hmm. mostly he would sing about like love songs. He wasn't as militant as Bob and Peter. Right. And so the albums really that I, I, I had here, the government didn't like, and so they were banned, which made it very difficult for me to get through to, 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 to people. Right. Because uh, at some stage, it was so bad, you know, that if they found you, say, with a Peter Tosh uh, cassette, they would, uh, they would lock you up. They would do things to you, mm. you know, they would torture you in many, many ways just for having that tape because they knew that that was the tape that was going to open people's minds and people's eyes. Right. So they would torture you, they would even throw you in jail for, for months or even years. And so people were not really into reggae because they were very scared of that same thing. Yeah, well, I, I know you mentioned Peter Tosh in there as well. I know the police, uh, or he claimed that the police tried to kill him at one time in Jamaica, and many people still believe that his murder was, was at the direction of the government in Jamaica. So have you sort of feared for your own life in South Africa? Yeah, at some stage I, I, I did. Uh, well, I still do even now, um, because, you know, what happens is that a lot of people here uh, would have thought that what I was against was the white government in the past. And that's not what I stand for. I don't stand for black or white. I just stand for the truth. And uh, so if there's anything like now in this present government that is not going right, I, I, I would sing about that. And uh, some people feel that it's maybe it's, it's uncalled for. Uh, because they say, okay, this is a, we have a black government now, so why do you still keep hitting at them, give them a chance, you know, it's a, it's a black government, it's cool. As mm -hmm. if what they're basically saying is that um, 
even the wrong things that the black government is doing should be right just because it's a black it's a black government and that's not the way um i'm looking at it and it's sometimes yes you do step on some people's toes and uh it's not a, a very nice feeling to mm. be in that position yeah i know a lot of the songs that you've sung some of my favorite songs are, are all about the crime and corruption i know on the latest album the way it is you've got a song called yeah. crime and corruption and then all the yeah. songs tax man life in the movies i guess there's a lot of people getting pretty defensive when they hear songs like that yeah with with Taxman, i had some people really that um came up but not necessarily from the the government as such but people who are very close to uh the government people friends and maybe families even who like call me and to say now why do you have a song like this and that is when money was just disappearing you know here um they they say uh maybe there's been uh 80 million rains that disappeared uh from the department of health or whatever 80 million and no one knows where it went and and what happened and because i'm one of the people that that pay tax it's not a nice thing to hear that your money has just disappeared and no one knows where it ha- where it has gone and then they say well you shouldn't question that because uh this is the black government and which is is bad and i don't think that's the way say the president at the time was thinking mm-hmm. well I, another one of your um, primary themes while we're talking about this another primary theme is obviously race relations and uh, another of my favorite songs of yours is my brother my enemy from the trinity album uh, i think it's just yes. a, a brilliant song with a brilliant message could you talk about that a little for us well as the song says um not every black man is my brother not every white man is my enemy uh, it happened to me in the past that um i've been in a lot of situations bad situations and you find that the people that are supposed to be my enemies which is now the white people those are the people that would get me out of situations uh situations where i've been put by black people who are supposed to be my brothers and um so then i came i came i i I had this one conclusion that i would only say a black guy is my brother if he acts like my brother you know and i would say white man is my enemy if he is my enemy if he's done something wrong to me but i wouldn't just hate a white guy because he's white or just trust and love a black guy because he's he's black that mm. it doesn't work like that with me you're my friend because of uh the way you you treat me the way you the way we talk you're my friend yes it doesn't matter whether you black or or you're white mm. do, do you feel that race relations are getting any better in south africa now or is the uh, the effects of the apartheid are still lingering on but it is still going on you know but it's getting a little uh bit uh, better it's not as bad as as before uh it's getting better but like i said this thing has been in the people's minds for a long time 
Yes, we, we managed to change the books, but we haven't changed the people's minds yet. Mm. That's going to take some time. Right. You know, because like now, if um, a white guy somehow goes to Soweto, he might not make it back to town. Okay. Because they see him, wow, that's a white guy, let's kill him for, for being white, you mm. know. And uh, yet, if we've had situations sometimes that some guys would be attacked in town by, by white people, and it would be like, wow, these white people killed a black man or attacked a black man in town, blah, blah, blah. But if a white guy is attacked in Soweto, say, for instance, it would be like, oh, okay, yeah, hey, the struggle still continues. It's mm -hmm. like, all right, it's okay. It's a white guy that got killed by black people. It's, it's okay. It's only bad and racist when um, a black guy is killed or hurt by white people. Mm. And so that still goes on. And some of the politicians, like, in a way, encourage that to happen. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I know you've toured... That's politics. Right. I know you've toured throughout Africa quite a lot. Do you find that some countries relate better to your message than others, or do you sort of meet a general sort of universal acceptance? Well, in, in Africa, I would say maybe it's the same basically everywhere we go, because the things that we talk about in the music are things that people relate to, are things that, that have happened to people here in Africa, and they know what we're talking about, you know? So it's not like uh, I'm just talking about Humpty Dumpty uh, falling off the wall, something that people don't know. They know these things, and I think they basically relate to the music the same way everywhere. Right. Well, of course, the next stop on your tour will be uh, back here in Australia. You've been here several times in the past. Are you looking forward to coming back? Oh, yeah. We we were there, uh, I think, what was in December, but just passing through, we had some shows in Fiji and Tahiti, and uh, but just passing through yeah right well i've, I've got now this time we're stopping all right sounds good i've got fantastic memories of the last show you did back in melbourne in 1995 on the trinity tour i was um, okay. i wasn't old enough to get into the venue then i was under 18 but i managed to get in with my dad with a fake id and and uh, <laughs> we couldn't have enjoyed the show more it was a fantastic night for both oh. of us so f for the for the for the people that haven't seen you before what can they expect well, uh, our shows have been known to be um, long and uh, very powerful. Uh, there's a lot of dancing, you know. We, we're not just the kind of band that stands there and everything that we have. Our backing singers are dancers as well. And people say it's, a, it's an energetic show. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I would just say it's it's a it's a powerful show. It's a it's a good show. Uh, you know, it's a visual uh, show as well. You know, not just necessarily audio, but visual as well. Yeah, well, I've got to say, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be brilliant. And I've never seen the uh, the Melbourne crowd as excited as they are about this tour. Of course, you're going to be playing with Burning Spear. Have you played with yeah, him before I'm in the past? 
Say again? Have you played with Spear in the past? Oh, yeah. Um, we did some some very nice shows with uh, Spear many, many times. And basically, wow, um, we've been working, doing shows with him, uh, like maybe for the past five years or so, uh, shows in America. This is the first time we do something with him in Australia, but we've been doing stuff with him in America. And, uh, I mean, we've, we've learned... Um, a lot from him, really. He's one of the guys today in in reggae that we also like look up to, you know, because he's still keeping the roots reggae, the real reggae. He hasn't gone into the raga or whatever, you know. Mm. He's still keeping it real. Yes, and sir. So we, I mean, yeah, he's one of the living legends, and so we, it, it would be very nice to work with him again. Yeah, well, we're very much looking forward to seeing both of you down here soon. I'd, I'd, we could yeah, speak, I'd love to speak to you for hours, but we're running out of time. So thank you very, very much for joining us here today. Yes, man. And thank you. We'll, we'll see you when we get there. And uh, we hope this time, no fake IDs. <laughs> Respect. <laughs> The late Lucky Dube, one of the greatest giants of African reggae music. That's it for this episode. As I mentioned at the start, feel free to get in touch. And don't forget also, you can listen to my reggae radio show, Babylon Burning, live on PBS FM every Saturday from 5 to 7 p.m. Melbourne time. Or you can listen to shows from the last six months in the audio archives. The website is pbsfm.org.au. Just look for Babylon Burning or go direct to pbsfm.org.au forward slash program forward slash Babylon hyphen burning. Please join me next time for something a bit different, an interview with the contemporary Jamaican dancehall producer Sean Izzle. Even if you're not a dancehall fan, this is really worth a listen. I thought it was a really interesting interview. It's one of my favorites. Thanks for tuning in. Eyes is every time.